So the thesis, again, of Romans comes down to, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. So then everybody is condemned in their diverse modes. Now everybody's going to be saved through faith, Jew first, then Greek, as uh, Paul teaches us. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. This podcast is sponsored in part by Annunciation Circle, a community that supports the mission of Ave Maria University through their monthly donations of $10 or more. If you'd like to support this podcast and the mission of Ave Maria University, I encourage you to visit avemaria.edu join for more information. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today I am joined by my colleague, Dr. Daniel Lenman, uh, Assistant Professor of Theology at Ave Maria University. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm a joy to be here. Excellent. And uh, Daniel's a beloved faculty uh, member among our students. And uh, one of the courses that he has been teaching uh, is a course on Paul and Romans. And I thought it'd be a wonderful opportunity today to dive into Romans. Uh, I think probably Romans is one of the most, I think one of the most beautiful books of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most powerfully rich theologically uh, in terms of helping us to understand the nature of our salvation, and yet at the same time also one of the most consoling. Help us to understand that even that salvation uh, will not be overcome, even in suffering. Now, it's also the case that Romans is one of the most controversial uh, books of the New Testament and has really been in many ways right at the heart at times of the divisions between Protestants and Catholics. Uh, I myself remember when I was in college and I was an evangelical Protestant at that time and, and had not yet returned to the Catholic Church, that Romans was often seen to be the kind of presented the gospel in, in a very clear way, that all have sinned, all have fallen short, uh, that the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is in Jesus Christ. If you confess with your lips and believe in your hearts that Jesus is Lord— you will find uh, salvation, right? So everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And kind of that was it. And uh, that was kind of a, they, w- they would sometimes call it the Romans road. Uh, and, uh, and unfortunately, many Roman Catholics have been led out of the church by the Romans road. Uh, so maybe just to kind of, in, in a short way, um, you know, what would you say to, you know, to my, uh, you know, college age self, what am I seeing about the beauty of Romans in that view? But also, what am I missing about Romans? Yeah, that, that's a great, great question to think about, um, because it isn't as if the that view is wholly wrong. It's um, I would just say it's you're 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 seeing something very true, but um, kind of missing out on a fuller kind of awareness of how much is. Uh, actually being said in Romans. I was uh, one of the books we go through is uh, actually Michael Gorman's commentary on Romans. And what's interesting is he's he's coming at it from a, a Protestant context, but he points out the deficiencies in the Roman road. And one of the things he points out, which is just right on, is that it's this kind of uh, sort of hyper-individualistic view of salvation, but uh, that's not the way salvation works out. And that a uh, notion of a, a collective is is going to be and being part of a community 
is going to be central is actually central to understanding Romans, and that and why? Well, there's again there's a lot there, but part of it is seeing how there's a real transformation that's required of us, that's given to us, I should say, and that and we're required to live according to this real transformation in Romans as part of a, a new community and that's part of the body of Christ. Uh, as he mentions, Paul mentions that explicitly in Corinthians, but it's implicit here in Romans as we're living the, the new life in the Spirit. So when you start looking at Romans as a whole, you realize the Roman road, it's, it's, it's like a, a focusing on a narrow part of Romans that gets distorted for lack of the broader context. That's a great way of uh, putting it. I love that sense of being called into a community, into a, the family of God, uh, and becoming members of the body of Christ. Uh, we can see that as well. I think uh, there, there's a lot of actually Protestant uh, contemporary scholarship that has uh, kind of come full circle. Sometimes called like the uh, new Paul uh, or the new perspective on That's Paul right. over the last like probably 30 years now uh, that has been doing this. But in going back and understanding the notion of covenant as it was used in right around the time of Christ in Second Temple Judaism uh, by Paul, but by also by others. Uh, that what you see is unique about Paul's understanding of the covenant is that we enter into the covenant through the free gift of grace. That's right. Right. We enter into it and we receive that through faith, but then we stay in the covenant right, through living according to the the the, the covenant. That's right. right. And and I think within that, given the fact that uh, Romans is so much about justification. Uh, but I think, you know, Scott Hahn, who has a, a, given a lot of talks on uh, Romans, I think uh, his study of Romans was really pivotal in his own return to the Catholic Church or his own conversion to the Catholic Church, uh, that he talks a lot about how the justification, he, as a Protestant, or understood it mostly in terms of the, the, the a legal justification yeah. where you were in a courtroom. Right. You were guilty and you were declared innocent. But eventually he learned that actually, no, it was, it was part of more of a f family hearth, mm -hmm. that justification is really adoption. That's right. Uh, and that if we're adopted into a family, in a way, that's a free gift. There's nothing we could ever do to earn adoption. There's nothing we could ever do to earn adoption as children of God. But if you adopt, the, if I'm adopted as a child into a family, I still have to live according to the family or I will be at some point. I, I will no longer be in communion with that family. So that certain sense of the free gift of entering the covenant, uh, and then the, the 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 works of that faith. We enter the covenant by faith, and then we we live in it by living according to faith and love, and and putting off, so to speak, the old practices and turning to the new. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That touches on one of the. Uh, the, so, well, it is the thesis of Romans, right? There you get it at Romans 1, 16 where, through 17, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith, as it is written, He who through faith is righteous shall live. And everybody kind of recognizes that that's, that's the thesis of Romans. And one of the, but even there, of course, it's controverted because everything in Romans is controverted. But um, how to take the righteousness of God. But what you were just saying and what is coming, the, the new perspective on Paul, part of that 
the realization is that is how to understand this righteousness of God or the justice of God, that um, as it could also be translated. And some people have read it where they want to say it's sort of this justice which God imposes or puts on us. It's about God making us just. Others will see it as uh, God's own manifestation of God's own justice or righteousness. And the new perspective really sees that that, that latter, that it's a manifestation of God's own righteousness, is really more in keeping with what Paul is saying, and that our justification our becomes in this participation, in this new life in the Spirit, this new family, this new covenant relationship with God. And so it's really the righteousness of God is a manifestation of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Yeah. So you just used a lot of words there that I, <laughs> I, I love, but I also think can be a little bit uh, kind of quick. So Sure. One, you talked about the notion of participation. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you and and this certain sense of participation uh, in righteousness and covenant? Could you just just kind of walk through that a little bit? Yeah, there's there's and obviously you teach. I'm sure you probably spend a day or two on that. You, so yeah, when, uh, many many yes. days. Uh, so probably the first notion to to unpack a little bit is the, the idea of covenant, um, and that is something we were familiar with often and there's been a lot of good work done you know Scott Hahn really kind of pioneered covenant uh, theology but others have taken up including uh, John Bergsma and, and 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 many others but uh this so you see covenants throughout scripture where God makes a covenant with his people or someone will make a covenant with another person and it's important that we understand this is not merely a contractual uh uh, relationship. It usually implies a lot more. There's usually a notion of establishing kind of kinship, a family. It's often uh, associated with uh, a religious, you know, priestly sacrifice. And it's I, m- the most solemn covenants are certainly lifelong bonds. You know, they, they stand f- throughout until death. And then if you're vi- you violate the covenant, these covenants, the penalty is often death. And then that, that's, there's a whole covenant code that surrounds each covenant. So this is characteristic. You see this in sort of the, the Mosaic covenants uh, that, that are established by God with, with uh, Moses and the people of Israel. And that's certainly rich part of, that, that's in the background of what Paul's talking about. And this, of course, then brings us to the, into the New Testament. We have to understand what Christ is doing as making a new covenant, right? Uh, why, why is there a new covenant? What's the old covenant? Well, that we don't have to get into all of that, but this new covenant is Christ, is in Christ, and it is for the salvation of the world. And in some ways, this that takes us to kind of straight to the heart of what Romans then is about. Namely, Sin introduces this problem in the world, namely that man has, is moving steadily away from God, uh, left to his own, will destroy himself. And so God establishes a covenant with man in order to return man back to this, this right relationship, a relationship uh, like unto what he had in the beginning, uh, when he established all things in due order with Adam and Eve. But, of course, it's going to 
supersede that. It's going to be even a greater union as we look forward to it, because it's much greater as Christ is than Adam. Um, and so that's going to manifest sort of the righteousness of God uh, as, as a faithful um, lover of his people and a lover of, of Adam and the sons and daughters mm-hmm. of Adam uh, through time. So that's kind of I think that gets us covenant yeah. and and uh, righteousness. I don't know if you want to. No, I think it's a, I think that's a great way of, of of looking at it, and it's kind of fascinating too because you can see in that big picture God's covenant with all of creation, uh, which of course human beings break, and then they break themselves, they break their relationships, they break their internal harmony, domestic harmony, civic harmony, religious harmony. That's all right. that becomes disordered and no longer capable of really sustaining life and peace and happiness. That's right. Right. It's just no longer there. So you look at the history of the world, and what you see now is the history of like bloodshed, violence, suffering. And uh, within that, but then, of course, God as a faithful covenant partner right, isn't going to let his people fall away. So he begins with the Jews. He begins with Abraham and Moses and David and creates these covenants. But those covenants, if you go back to Abraham, right, were for the sake of all the nations, right? And so when he speaks about Jews and Greeks, he's really under the Greeks there is everyone who's not a Jew. So all of the nations, all human beings are part of God's plan. That plan right then is fulfilled perfectly in Jesus Christ. That's right. Jesus Christ, uh, as we're going to see, right, is able to fulfill in a certain sense both sides of the covenant, both God's side and man's side. So in that sense, we have now, right, a new and everlasting covenant of communion, in a certain sense, now we have, you know, Jesus Christ who has gone through death with, and still remains in perfect charity with his Father, right, right? As, as, you know, from the Holy Spirit. And, and in that then, right, he's able, as it puts it in Romans 1, 4, he be, he's kind of designated the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection. So, now in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is completely one with the Father. Right? That's right. All of creation has begun, in the human nature of Jesus Christ, right, creation has begun to be restored. And right now, right, sits, part of our earthly creation, our human nature, sits at the right hand of the Father. Right? So in, in that communion, and in, then in that sense of we are called to participate in that, you know, in, in that gift. So so anyway, I know I think that's a great way of, of putting it. And it's interesting, too, if you go to Romans 5, 1, another famous uh, line, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So justification by faith gives us peace with God. Uh, so could you say more a little bit about both that sense of justification by faith and then the peace of God that it gives us? So... A lot there. I, I want to start by saying that I think p- part of the confusions that come about, particularly in uh, sort of Protestant and Catholic disputes over this, is there's kind of a robust Catholic principle in, in reading the New Testament as a whole and as we live the faith uh, of an already but not yet. And so uh, I think that's important to keep in mind with this reading, even here at five, right, that we have uh, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand 
and we rejoice in our hope of sharing the glory with God, of God. So there's this idea. This has already been accomplished. There's something perfect already in the life, in, in, the, in the sacrifice, in the resurrection of Christ. It's already done. But there's also a not yet in the sense that we have to get ourselves more fully conformed to that life in Christ. And how do you do that? Well, I think that that's what St. Paul means when he's talking about the obedience of faith. Um, and the way he'll talk about it elsewhere, and a theme you, you already mentioned in Romans, uh, it's like, I must make up in my body what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ, right? Yes. So there's this, there's this idea, this has already been accomplished in Christ perfectly in himself. Our job is to sort of more, be more fully conformed that's another important uh, uh, phrase uh, here in Romans, to Christ, right? That's the goal for us in, in the spiritual life. And that's how we, to get back to that, uh, the three terms, the first of them, participate in the life of Christ. So that's, and Romans has kind of set this up for yeah. us, right? So you, you see, you, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating letter, and, so, and it's so well organized, though it's, it's a difficult letter. So the you've, in the beginning, right after he's he set it up, he's he's sort of showing this problem with the Gentiles. It's like, look, Gentiles, you're all in a bad way, right? Until yesterday, you were worshiping idols and you know you were doing all sorts of debauched things. You, there's no hope there for you in that way of life. You know that, but God's an impartial judge, so. You, you, we all stand condemned as Gentiles, as you know, the people of the nations, but also the Jewish people, as he points out, you also stand condemned under the law that you have because no one is righteous. All have sinned. All have gone astray. Uh, and so Paul is going to set up this problem that said, whatever you say about salvation history and, and then and as important a role as the people of Israel have in salvation history— the problem is the same for everyone, namely that we're condemned under sin, either without the law, if you're a Gentile, or with the law, if you're not. Um, and that is our problem. The only solution is the righteousness of God that's vindicated in us through faith working in us. And that's what, so chapter four then really is him saying, manifesting through Abraham, especially how it's by faith that Abraham is righteous, right? It's, it was reckoned to him as righteousness, that, faith, that Abraham took what God said by faith, and that that becomes key. So, uh, and I think, you know, if we go into that understanding, I think we've kind of focused especially a little bit on how, uh, right, Paul will say in Romans, you know, 3, um, 28, right, uh, we hold a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, those works of the law, uh, the ergo nomai in, in the Greek, right, especially is associated with the works of the old law, circumcision, uh, the ceremonial works of the old law. Those were good, but they were inadequate and incomplete right. to root out sin, right? And even the prophets would speak about there needs to be a new covenant, right, um, according to uh, Jeremiah to be written on our hearts. In Ezekiel, we have to have a heart of stone taken away and given a heart of flesh. Uh, so... We have this understanding that we're justified by faith apart from the works of the law, but that does not exclude, say, the works of love, right? Because the works of loving God is still a part of our justification. 
So we've spoken a little bit, I think, about how the notion of justification is more than uh, maybe I thought when I was a, in, in college as an evangelical Protestant. Um, but what would you say to, I think there are many kind of relatively somewhat poorly catechized Catholics who do kind of have a sense that if they're good, they'll go to heaven. Right. You know, that if they kind of try to do nice things and think nice thoughts and, you know, not be racist and not, I don't know, you know, like not commit, you know, not kill people right. or, you know, do something. The if they're basically good, that yeah. they'll go to heaven. So what would you say to kind of maybe, you know, like uh, the average Catholic, so to speak, what are they missing about this language of that we hold that a man is justified by faith? Yeah, that's. And one way, I guess I would say they should take my creation and grace class because in some way <laughs> my creation and grace class is all about that and it could be reduced down to uh, really a thorough understanding of Romans 1 through 8. Um, so it is certainly true that the, the deficiency of just saying, oh, it's faith alone, uh, that's all you need. And it's, it's sort of, and then you kind of make justification in that sort of a hyper-Protestant reading is you make justification a, really a legal fiction. It's not even, it's just God is just going to call you just without any reality. That's just, he just makes it that way, kind of voluntarism. Um, so on the right side, you're supposed to say, yeah, no, this you really become just. It's not just a pretending none of that happened or just it's not a, it's not a legal fiction but it's it's naming something that's real in you you are actually made to be righteous um but the problem is is thinking if you that righteousness comes through something you've done um and if you think that there's a there's a name for that that's called pelagianism it's an it's an ancient heresy that augustine fought uh with great zeal um there in the the th uh, 300s but um, the idea here is that the, the gift of faith comes from God. And it, but it, is, it doesn't just come to you uh, with an indifferent effect, that the only change is now I, I, I was believing and now I'm not believing. No, the, it becomes, it's, comes to us through grace. And this is where one of the great insights we get from Thomas Aquinas. So uh, his commentary on Romans is just a masterpiece, just a masterpiece. And uh, he will say what Romans is about more than anything else, what it's about is about grace. And he called, he says, it's all about in particular the gospel of grace. And he just, he says the whole body of Romans up to 12 is about the gospel of grace. And this actually agrees again with the sort of the new Pauline perspective, which uh, they they will talk about. It's it's about the gospel of salvation, but these two things go together, right? And the righteousness, righteousness and grace, these things go together. Um, why is this? Well, because you have to have this. Uh, Thomas gives us a robust account of grace that permeates throughout all the scriptures, and, and he takes it first from uh, uh, Peter. Right where it talks about grace as a participation in the, the divine life, in the very life of God. And so then if you see then that faith comes to us as a grace, 
then it isn't just a matter. It's like, well, I believed and now I, or I didn't believe now I believe, but it's, there's a whole new life that comes with that. It's, it does because you can't believe without God being within you in some way. And that's wholly a gift from God. You don't earn that. It's to make it very like, there's nothing we can do to kind of earn or merit God's love. That's the big difference. For human love, when we love, we love things because they're, they're good or they're beautiful. But God's love isn't that way because God isn't moved by us. Rather, God's loving us is what makes us good, what makes us beautiful. And I think if you start to see that, suddenly Romans starts to unlock, and you see, yeah. oh, this is mm-hmm. this is what it's all what it's all about. Yeah, and that's right in uh, Romans five eight, which we were uh, leading up to, right? But this idea that God shows His love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right. Therefore, must we are now blood, justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him, right, from the wrath of God. So. But the sense that God shows his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, right. Christ died for us, right? You know, he said, for me, right? And I am, com- like, it's, it's you know, that, that I, I did not, I, I cannot earn my salvation, yeah, right? right? Salvation is a free gift given by God in Jesus Christ. I can't earn my creation, right? Even creation itself, right, is a free gift when we recognize it. And then the fact that that creation has been spoiled, I'm simply powerless to overcome. That's and right. the most obvious thing is, overcome death. Well, I can't. That's right. Maybe it's like we may not totally recognize that we can't overcome sin. Although I think if once, once we begin to see it, we might begin to recognize it, but it is a gift in a way to see ourselves in that mode. Uh, But if we just look at sin and death together, I can't overcome, right. You know, just try down as um, uh, one of the founding uh, members of our department, father Matthew lamb would say is that often, uh, Despite all the promises of modern technology and modern politics, right, crime and death, crime and sickness remain rather prevalent, and which is why hospitals and prisons are crowded. Right? We actually just don't do a very good job right. of overcoming uh, sin and death. Uh, but God loved us anyway, and not only loves us, but right, He sent His Son right here. You know, Jesus Christ died for us. So I think this is something that's just. It's a mindset that's wholly other. That's right. It's counterintuitive to all the rest of the world, which is if we work a little harder, we get a little more. If, if we're better in a relationship, the relationship will grow. Um, everything else is somewhat reciprocal. Right. Right. But we don't have reciprocity with God. We are wholly dependent. And only when we admit, right, we're utterly incapable of justifying ourselves. I think it's sometimes too. Justification can sound... I don't know, it's not overly technical, but just tell somebody they're wrong and they'll immediately justify themselves. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We have a strong tendency to want to justify ourselves and explain why we, what we did was okay. Uh, and to recognize, no, just to kind of say, no, ultimately, I am unable to justify myself and I am utterly in need of God's free gift of justifying love and healing and grace in Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to just talk a little bit more to make sure we really uh, appreciate this Pauline teaching in Romans on justification by faith uh, and and how we live in accordance with that, according to the obedience of faith that he describes. And then secondly, I want to really uh, focus in maybe on Romans 8 
the new life in the spirit, and and also, right, the role of suffering and divine providence. Uh, So we'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University and sponsored in part by Annunciation Circle. Through their generous donations of $10 or more per month, Annunciation Circle members directly support the mission of AMU to be a fountainhead of renewal for the church through our faculty, staff, students, and alumni. To learn more, visit avemaria.edu join. Thank you for your continued support. And now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Catholic Theology Show. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today we are joined by Daniel Lenman, professor of theology at Ave Maria University, who uh, teaches a course on Paul and Romans. And today we've been discussing uh, Romans and trying to understand this great theme of justification by faith, right, and how God's righteousness is communicated to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, thank you, Daniel, for being on the show. Such a joy. Excellent. So I just wanted to make a kind of background comment. We were talking a little bit about uh, the more contemporary readings of St. Paul that have recovered a notion that we, we enter the covenant through faith, but we stay in the covenant through uh, works of love. But it's also interesting, if you go back to the, doct- or the Council of Trent back in the um, you know, the uh, 16th century, after the Reformation, really the Catholic kind of response to certain uh, questions about justification and other things. There, so the Trent, Trent has a whole session on justification. And it's very interesting because what happens there is there are four quick stages in a way. Justification is both an event, it's a process, and it's a maturation in a way, it's kind of like our own lives. We're born, we grow, we bear fruit. Uh, and what it says is actually, right, at the beginning, we in justification, we are translated, the way it puts it, but it's kind of like we'd say transferred from being a child of Adam with a wounded nature to becoming a child of God in Jesus Christ. Then it describes faith as the root and foundation of our justification. So... Then it talks about how we can cooperate with faith and, and, and grow in our works. Uh, and then ultimately, it talks about how we can even bear fruit in merit. So we can even do things by faith with Christ in us because we're truly participating in Christ. And we can even do things that are meritorious, but only because right we are doing them in Christ, nothing on our own. But like that idea of justification, I think, is a little bit sometimes, I think, uh, richer than I think many Catholics understand. I think sometimes even Protestants understand. Uh, uh, Adolf von Harnack, uh, a great mm. Protestant historian of dogma, uh, who wrote a three-volume work around 1900 on uh, the history of dogma, but he wrote there that if the Council of Trent's decree on justification had been written 40 years earlier, there would have been no Reformation. It was just, he thought it was that beautifully stated uh, and, and I've also known evangelical Protestants who have read the catechism on grace and justification, and they're just like, wait a second, that's what right. I believe. Whoa, I thought Catholics thought you could earn your salvation, and right. it clearly says that we don't. Uh, but I think what happens sometimes is that if the, you know, the Protestant understanding, or at least the, the typical view is that it's by faith alone, then the Catholic response is, well, we have faith in works. 
And I think that's not really adequate. That's right. Um, what If it's not sola fide, but Trent really does talk about kind of a prima fide. There's a Faith has a primacy. Of course. Faith has to be the root and foundation of all our works. Uh, so anyway, I just think that's in Trent, and I think it's in the catechism. And I think a lot of Catholics really don't fully understand that primacy of faith, of of hearing and uh, Romans 1 and 16 will talk about the obedience of faith. In Hebrew, obedience simply means hear, listen. Right. Yeah. It's like when you tell your children, li- listen, you know, right? Or, um, but in a certain sense, you know, hear, O Israel. Uh, in, in the New Testament, both in Greek and in uh, Latin, ab odiere, to listen with in the Greek, hypoakuo, with a certain sense of listen under. Mm-hmm. So obedience is kind of listening. And it is at first then just receiving the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died and rose again for us. Right. And it's hearing that and listening. And the faith is untrusting. And then it's continuing to listen to that word, right? And therefore to live in accordance with it. So just if you'd say a little bit maybe about your reading of Romans and how how it uh, takes up that kind of uh, official church teaching in Trent. Yeah, that's uh, I I think that's great. The I guess I'll just kind of give us a run through kind of what Romans is doing. Sure. If, yeah. If yeah. That, maybe like chapter by chapter, even just a quick summary, especially perfect. the first maybe eight, but a little bit beyond. Great. So the. So the thesis, again, of Romans comes down to, for in it the righteousness of God is in it the gospel, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of grace. The righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. So then he sets up sort of the problem, the the predicament, as it were, of the, the Gentiles, that they're condemned um, through the life of idolatry that uh, that belong to the those outside the covenant um, and then comes in t- in chapter two talking about God's impartiality that God's the just judge so if you you stand condemned you stand condemned if you if you're righteous you're you're righteous um, and this is true of the Gentiles and then in three it's also true of the Jewish people who have the unique privilege of being condemned not just from idolatry but being condemned under, under the law. And as he says, none is righteous, no, not one, you know, the great uh, reference back uh, to the Old Testament there in Isaiah. This, so the problem is that everybody stands condemned, both Gentile and Jew in their own particular ways. So then now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this now everybody is condemned in their diverse modes. Now everybody's going to be saved through faith, Jew first, then Greek, as as uh, Paul teaches us. And he, he explains this by going back to the example of Abraham. We talked about that a little bit earlier and showing how Abraham was, it was reckoned to him as righteousness, not after circumcision, uh, which, you know, his Abraham receiving circumcision would have been, a sign of him sort of being under the law here, but this was given to Abraham, and this this the first yeah. Abrahamic covenant, the first promises, was just a gift on the part of God yeah. to Abraham and Abraham's belief, and it was reckoned to him as righteous. Yeah, there's even that uh, 
kind of just simple observation that um, Paul makes, right, is that the call of Abraham is in Genesis 12. He's justified by faith. He's counted to him as righteousness in Genesis 15, and then he's circumcised in Genesis 17. Yeah, yeah. So the circumcision, the ceremonial works of the law, cannot be the basis of Abraham's justification. But importantly, his act of faith yes. is. And yes, granted, yes, that yes. comes from God first. It, it's also Abraham's yeah. act of faith, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, this and is he also lives nuance. out the act of faith by obedience right. to the law that was given to him by God. So That's for right. him, then it was a, the circumcision was a seal. And just as for us, then obedience to the law is not contrary. It's the seal in a way of our justification. It's exactly. living within that covenant. Exactly. And so that's where we come to chapter 5, where Paul teaches us that the reconciliation with God, where all alike are sin, now all alike can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, that that, that gift of faith comes to us through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and so that now we can rejoice in our sufferings and bring hope because we don't suffer and die in vain. We now can suffer and die uh, with Christ Jesus. And so there's a kind of going back, a recapitulation of creation, which is a great theme in the Old Testament that Paul kind of brings back here and doing this comparison between Adam and Christ. And I think it's important to go back, that he goes all the way back to Adam. He doesn't stop at Moses. He wants to say, no, this gets everybody. What Christ is a new Adam, and it's so it's Gentile and Jew alike are are from Adam, and so the, the sin of Adam brought death to, to the world, and sin now the sacrifice of Christ can bring salvation to the world. But there's kind of a question there. You're like, well, I know how I'm of Adam, right? I was just born, and I'm a descendant. Okay, great. How do we be of Christ, right? That's and the so then logically, what you talk about then in chapter six, of course, is baptism. Right, Beautiful. so baptism is how we are now in Christ, and but how we get in Christ is first by dying. We die with Christ, and what does that do? That frees us from the wages of sin because we've already died. The wages of sin is death, but now you've died in baptism with Christ, and so you rise with Him. So you've already begun the resurrected life in some way, although not yet. That already not yet. And I think that that's why in chapter 7, Paul makes it very clear with the analogy of marriage. Very complicated chapter, lots, of, but just in kind of the quick overview, it makes this analogy to marriage where it says, look, marriage, a covenant, lasts until death. But once the spouse dies, you are free to marry because that covenant bond is over. So also the sort of covenant going back even to the Adamic covenant where all men are condemned to sin or to the Mosaic covenant where they're condemned under the law, that lasts until you die. Well, we just talked about you you died in chapter 6 with baptism, hopefully, right? And so now you're free from that old covenant, the old covenant of death, the old covenant under the Mosaic law, and instead you're rise in the new covenant, a new life in Christ Jesus. Uh, and that's where and you have the now live according to the law of grace. And that's what chapter 8 is about, the, the, the life in the spirit and what that looks like, how we live that out. Just fast forwarding really quickly, 9 through 11 seems to me is really kind of answering a, 
a latent objection that, that's kind of there, namely, um, well, talking about God's righteousness, his covenant faithfulness, what about the people of Israel? And I think Paul is particularly concerned about the people of Israel who don't have not believed in Christ. Is, is God still faithful to them? And so you have 9 through 11 is kind of dealing with that issue. And then uh, 12 through the end really is kind of how that more or less practically works out in the life of the Christian. Yeah, that's really uh, so, so so well put. And it, it's, it's great to see that sense that there's really a narrative unity, right? Paul is, of course, a great, you know, he, he studied uh, with Gamaliel. That's right. Uh, one of the great uh, rabbis of, of his day uh, as a Pharisee, right? He was a leading Pharisee studying with the leading rabbi. Uh, he was clearly as a Roman citizen. Uh, he was, you know, fluent in Hebrew, but also Greek. Uh, he had studied Roman oratory, Roman rhetoric, or you know, and and so his letter is not right. This is a this is a sophisticated uh, letter, yeah. and and I think the way right you, you know we 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 see him just developing uh, this idea, and so I do think it's really beautiful to see then right faith and baptism become the way that I receive God's free gift of salvation in a way if I'm born naturally. Mm-hmm. Right of of um you know and 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 but that that bo- that birth is also wounded, um and anytime you if you know you you have a bunch of children my you know we've we've had children and uh, grandchildren now right and 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 the moment you hold that child one of the things you recognize is how vulnerable that child yeah, is. That's right. That's Every right. parent just that child is vulnerable. What do you want to protect that child from? Well, sin and death. Yeah. Right. right. You know their own sin, the sins of others, death, and you also know you can't. And so that birth, no matter how, it's not that it's not beautiful, it's not that it's not loving, but it just is radically incomplete. So there needs to be a new birth. Mm-hmm. And that's what baptism is, going back underwater, dying that natural death, and then being reborn. I love in Romans 5.5, 5, the way it just says, hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. <laughs> That's such right? a beautiful verse. And so it's this gift of the Spirit. So when we get to Romans 8 then, we think about what does then the, what is this Spirit that's been poured into our hearts? And so we have this beautiful, right at the beginning of Romans 8, uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So the Holy Spirit in me, given by Christ in his resurrection and ascension, now is in me, and this is what actually frees me. That's right. So, right, it's my faith and baptism, but it's ultimately, right, it's the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. And uh, there's, there's one line I, I just, I, I love, and I think is so powerful, but I thought we'd just say a few things about Romans 8 as a whole. Um, but I want to just dive into this uh, Romans uh, eight eleven. Uh, where he just says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now, again, just think about this. That Now, of course, yes, Jesus as the eternal son of God is, is part of the Trinity, but Jesus' human nature is also just human nature. It's truly God, truly man. So his human nature is dead, and it's dead, right? So his human nature needs, in a way, to be revivified by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. just as Adam, in a way, was breathed into his nostrils the Holy Spirit. That's when right. Jesus rose from the dead, he breathed on his apostles the Holy Spirit. So his, his human nature needs to be restored. But that Holy Spirit was 
powerful enough to raise Jesus's body from the dead and to restore his body to new life and not only the a resurrect not just a resuscitated corpse but a holy new life the life of the resurrected Jesus right which ascends into heaven and is now at the right hand of God the Father yeah, that spirit that did all that, that created the universe, that recreated Jesus Christ, now dwells in us. And so just you know, read it again, Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit who dwells in you. So just say a little bit about this sense of the Right, of Romans, I think this is something that's overlooked again, that it's a powerful teaching that God's Spirit, who created the universe, who raised Jesus from the dead, now dwells in us as members of his new covenant, as children of God. Yeah, so much. That was so beautifully said. Um, so the life and the Spirit that we possess now, so uh, it's a, just to emphasize first that point you're making and we get from acts uh with the with pentecost we see the the sending of the holy spirit on the on the apostles and our blessed mother and and those gathered in the upper room there you see it it's represented as a new sinai right it, it you try to see no this is god in you and dwelling in you and that life in the spirit then becomes it becomes a new principle a new sort of source of how we live our life so I've, i'm going to sound like a broken record but again it's going to be there's an already but not yet here where the life of the resurrection has already begun in us and in fact this is language we've kind of lost nowadays but it's part of our tradition uh, Thomas Aquinas makes it explicit there in the Tertia Pars of the Summa Theologiae where he talks about the baptism is the resurrection of the soul. So, the, so the resurrected but, life yeah. has already begun in us in the spirit. And this is and so with that principle of resurrected life, this life in the spirit, the logic is, well, of course it's going to carry over to your body. So the idea is just living then in such a way that you're in conformity with that life and yeah. the spirit. And so that's what eight is about, yeah. <laughs> opposing flesh and spirit. Now, this is important, too, because this is a source of, been a source of confusion throughout the history of the church. Um, we want to distinguish flesh and body. Uh, sarks and soma, because sometimes those get confused, and, and there's been lots of history or lots of heresies, excuse me, where people have sort of taken readings like this and sort of despising the body and things. And uh, we don't we don't want to do that too much um, at all. <laughs> so sarks here, uh, flesh, for what when Paul's talking about it, almost always doesn't mean body, but here it means uh, the principle of. Uh, in us, where whereby we're inclined to sin, what we might call concupiscence in that kind of uh, technical sense, right? It's referring to our fallenness there, uh, where the body is sort of the, where that's housed, as it were, but is not in itself yeah. flesh, and that's important because that's what's going to rise, and it's going to be divinized, spiritualized uh, in the resurrection, and so this keeping this life in the spirit, we. Are not we become debtors not to the flesh to living according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So this goes back to this reading. So the Spirit, faith, the life of grace is given freely. You don't merit that. You don't earn that just like you don't merit being born, right? It it happens to you. So the life of grace is Mm -hmm. given to you. And then it's your job to live in conformity with that. And that's the cooperation. So there you have that justification, which is a gift, but then also the the obedience of faith, wherein we live out that life of the Spirit. Well, that's excellent, excellent summary of, of, again, that that great gift that the Spirit of Jesus, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in us, and therefore allows us to be reborn and to live according to this higher mode. Uh, In Romans 8, we also have this, right, in Romans 8, 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, we call God Abba, Father, right? Father, Papa, Daddy. It is the Spirit himself bearing witness that we are children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, heir fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, right? That we may be glorified with him. And this is, of course, where Paul begins to introduce that our sufferings are not in vain, our sufferings begin to share in Christ's sufferings. It goes on a little further. I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. I just want to highlight one or two other themes because we are beginning to run out of time. But therefore, again, in Romans 8, a little bit later, it's the spirit that helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the spirit intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And, um, Right, any listeners or you know who are experiencing deep suffering and don't know how sometimes even to articulate. Remember, it's the spirit that intercedes right. right for us with sighs too deep for words. Right. And then we move on to this beautiful line in Romans 8 28. We know that in everything God works for good. God brings good with those who are who love him. And so we just have this deep sense, right? And then it goes on at the very end, talks about. Can anything separate us from God, right? Nothing. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to highlight uh, two quick themes, and then I want to ask you just kind of a ask you to think a little bit about what would you, what are a couple things, maybe, you know, two key points that you really want your students uh, to remember, you know, down the road. But but before I just wanted to highlight kind of two fun facts about Romans, uh, Augustine famously converts when he picks up Romans and right. he picks up the Bible in the garden, but it's actually Romans, Romans 13, right? Let us conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Right? So this is the power of Romans. It just, Augustine reads, right? Romans 13, 13 to 14. And, you know, and kind of his, his life has changed. The history of the church has changed right. beautifully. And it's also interesting, a lot of people don't know this as well, but C.S. Lewis, when he actually in 1931 uh, has his conversion to back to Christianity, Um, He talks about talking with Tolkien and Dyson, but he also says, um, during this time, he goes, I have just finished, this is a quote from a letter of his uh, from September 19, or October 1st, 1931. I have just finished reading the epistle to the Romans, right? Uh, The first Pauline epistle I've ever seriously read through. 
contains many difficult things. But the essential idea of death, death as a transformative principle that allows us to live beyond this life, right, is, is there. It is, so it's kind of just, again, Romans has this powerful effect. Again, Lewis and Augustine, right. what gifts right. yeah, uh, yeah. to the church. So, uh, so I just wanted to highlight that. And so maybe what are, just, what, what are two key themes that you'd love students to remember? Well, you, you really touched on uh, the biggest one, uh, and it even is, the, it's the end of the first exam, or really the heart of the first exam I give to my creation grace students is explaining how the meaning of nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I mean, it's, it's essentially the whole exam is to give an exegesis on that, that passage. So eight is really the 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 central chapter in in Romans. You can't just read it in exclusion because you'll misunderstand it. You have to read it in context. But really what we see there in 8 is the the great glory of the New Testament where the how far Christ surpasses the old order, how far Christ surpasses uh, the, the old covenants, the or, even the original glory in which Adam and Eve were created. Why? Because in 8 you see that we are now the life that we share with Christ is uh, with God is no longer sort of extrinsic to God in any way, but we now enter into a kind of intertrinitarian kind of life. There's a new mode of living where we are sons in the Son of the Father, alive in the Holy Spirit, uh, and that become that's that's the theme. And so, if you've already begun this resurrected life, if you're already in the sort of Trinitarian family and that covenant bond, then what what can anything do? You, who can condemn us? It's Christ who vindicates. I mean, there's nothing. And then, then it's, but we still suffer. Well, what do we do with it? Well, now in Christ, through this life of grace, it's, all of that becomes occasions for our sanctification. All of that becomes occasions for purifying, ridding whatever is left of the flesh in us, ridding ourselves of that and growing this progress in our lives, please God, so that in the end we can sort of appreciate the fullness and perfection of that. And this is why 12, Romans 12 through uh, 15, 16, it's, it's not just an, oh, here's some practical notes, but it flows out of the letter, you know, how you live your life. And that's what, you know, what converted uh, Augustine, or, or finally, was, was very practical, straightforward, right? You cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light, we conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not reveling in drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So that's this. You, you have really a set for the whole life of grace, the whole uh, spiritual life. It's, it's all kind of Paul's given us this teaching in Romans uh, to really lead us. Well, thank you so much, uh, Daniel, for uh, being on the show and thank for you. really just kind of reawakening uh, my love of, of Romans and, of course, of right, Jesus Christ and the gospel of God that, that, that he um, communicates to us and that Paul, as an apostle, right, shares with us. By the way, listeners who uh, have enjoyed and uh, maybe gotten a taste for uh, why uh, our, our students love Dr. Lenman so much, uh, if you go back to April 4th, uh, we have a podcast episode from last year called Made for Worship, Preparing for Holy Week. 
Uh, so that's something you might find interesting. Uh, there's also a couple, there's an episode with Scott Hahn on God's holiness in scripture, which is very uh, relevant. And then there's also one with John Bergsma on the Bible and the Eucharist and looking through the covenants on April 25th. So there's a lot there. And again, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, if you like the show, uh, consider um, you know sharing it with some family and friends. So thank you so much. And thanks again, Daniel. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Theology Show.